Good morning, everybody. Remember last week I told you I was on a numbers fast for all the reasons that I'd been kind of yoked up to the wrong things when it came to numbers. And we have some really skilled people involved with our numbers, people like Jason Hill and Matt Olsis and staff members like Jana Lange Bartles and Ruth Batson. And I said, at the appropriate time, they would draw my attention to numbers when they needed to be there, right? And I talked a little bit about that under the banner of trust and yoke and all that stuff. Well, this week, they drew my attention to some numbers that I think is really, really great. Like, um, some great news from the Ministry of Budget and Finance to start the message. That's not always how messages begin, is it? Great news from the Ministry of Budget and Finance. Are you intrigued? So on Friday, this past Friday in the afternoon, we as a congregation put 200,000 additional dollars down on our principal payment for our mortgage. How great is that? And I asked Jason over the life of the loan, like what does that mean? If we were to run the loan out, it means somewhere in the neighborhood of $100,000 of interest saved as a result of that $200,000 deposit down. And you say, where did the 200,000 come from? Well, it came from a growing cash reserve over the last two years. And if you were at the congregational meeting, you heard us talk more about this. But over the past couple of years, you have been generous and faithful in your giving. I think the staff has done a great job at managing expenses when it comes to ministry. The net result of that has become we have had a growing cash position. And those of you who are very skilled and sharp with how to leverage cash wisely and well came to us as a board and helped us think through as we've been praying through how to better use cash than sitting in a bank account earning minimal interest. A better way to leverage the cash position is to take a couple hundred thousand and put it towards our mortgage. The net result is, gang, we're thousands of dollars ahead just on interest stuff just in 2016 than we would be if it just sat in the account. So kudos to the board, to you guys who are in all of that. Well, that spawned me to yesterday then say, you know, where are we at now with our mortgage? I'm on a numbers fast, but I'm now brought back into a numbers thing. I thought, well, let's just check up on where we're at. So January 2014, here was our mortgage balance, 3.93 million. Today, the mortgage balance is 2.89 million. How about that? So almost $1.1 million of headway on our debt in the last 25 months. That's a God thing right there. How about that? 20, if you do the math, it's about 26% of the overall loan that we've made headway on in 25 months. That's the Lord. And I thought of Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And I also want to say thank you to all of you because you know how local church life runs. It's you who listen to the prompting of the Lord and you write sacrificial checks week after week or you post them online or you give the cash gifts. It's you faithfully giving and stewarding what God has given us to steward that allows us to see this kind of headway. And so just wanted to celebrate. I mean, to me, at the end of it, I thought, oh, Lord, it's just like you to give me some encouragement through numbers this week now that I'm on a numbers fast with this. This is a good way that those in the numbers world can, I was so encouraged. Just that picture, God's with us. God's for us. God's able. God's faithful. I remember back in January of 2014, do you remember our bold dreams vision around there? And we started circling our Jerichos. You know, one of the Jerichos I wrote down on a little index card, I had a Jericho and it was 3.93. And 
you know what this tells me? He's removing some bricks off of the wall of that Jericho. Several bricks have gone down to the tune of 2.89 now. And so I was just so encouraged by that, and I hope you are too. And if you wondered, like, how do we continue to make headway on that? Well, the way we make headway on it is there's a facility fund set up, and on your giving, on the offering envelope, there's a spot for facility fund, or online, you can select it. And if you give anything ad- additional above and beyond your tithes and offerings to facility fund, 100% goes to principal. And our mortgage payment right now is 26000 a month. So church, can you imagine what can happen and what will happen the day we burn that mortgage? Can you picture the kind of ministry that will be released and the kinds of blessings that'll be extended? And it's just like God, is it not for us to make this kind of headway with our debt in the last 25 months, simultaneously doubling our missions budget, doubling what we're giving away? I think that's God's way of saying, hey. So 10.1% of every dollar you give to this local body immediately goes out and is given away. We think that's a really important thing, and we'll continue to do that. And I long for the day. Gang, as we make headway on that number right there, you know what? The missions number just goes up, right? We just continue to be able to give more away and bless more. So thank you. Let's pray together and just give God thanks. Jesus, thank you so much for encouraging numbers reports like this. Thank you that numbers matter and that they assess things like this, that you've given us property and land to be in, that we've been seeking to steward every dollar you've entrusted. We want to squeeze every ounce of ministry out of every dollar you give us. Thank you for the generosity of this body. Thank you for your faithfulness of hearing our cries for help. And we long for the day, the day, the time, the hour you've ordained when we can burn the remaining 2.89. And what a party and celebration and glory we'll give to you for that. And as we turn now to your word, would you open our hearts to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 18. We're in this series we've called Changed and Changing. We've been journeying through the Lenten season under this banner that when you come to Christ, there are some things instantaneously that are changed, and there are some things that are ongoing changing. It's a changed and changing relationship. Last week, we talked about when you come to Christ, you're not instantaneously zapped with a worry-free, anxiety-free life. It's a gift received of peace, and it's a lifestyle embraced. And so all week long, we were working, as Jen led us through, the muscle of anything, everything, prayer, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And as we keep working that muscle over the course of time, we see the grip of worry and anxiety and fear loosen up around the heart. We're changed with the gift of peace, and we're changing, becoming a more peaceful people. And today, we're going to get into the topic of anger And here's kind of the thesis of the morning, a one-sentence summary of where we're headed. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. At the top of your notes, I put Dallas Willard's quote on the topic of anger, and he said something like this, find a person who has embraced anger, and you find a person with a wounded ego. Because anger is the emotional, spontaneous response to an obstruction of your will. And if you parent, you know all about this in the eyes of your young ones. When they're really young and they're in the toddler preschool stage, what do we say? They're throwing a temper tantrum. Or we say they're throwing a fit. And do you know it's possible to grow up and be an adult who still throws a temper tantrum and he'll still throws a 
fit, yes, it's possible to actually do that because the world's way, the old self way, the old life way of dealing with an obstruction to your will is to rehearse it. Anybody really good at rehearsing the personal offenses against you? Do you have those imaginary conversations? Am I the only one that has the imaginary conversations about this person who has just graded and rubbed against me the wrong way and I've got a meeting with them at this date and time and I go through how the meeting's gonna go over and over in my head and I have this imaginary like, they're gonna say this and then, oh, I've got one. I'm gonna say this and boy, that's really going to, am I the only dysfunctional one with this whole scene? This is the old way. This is the old Simpson life. This is the outside of Jesus life. The Bible calls it the way of the flesh. This is like, we don't have to work at doing this. You, we all come by it really naturally because if you live as a person in this world, you will encounter consistent obstructions to your will. Shock. If you're married, you know all about this. And if you have kids, you know all about it. If you work in a work environment with people and you have all kinds of things you're trying to do together, did you notice on a team that everyone just doesn't always agree all the time? Shocking. It's, a, it's really difficult to get a group of people to work together to do anything because there's an obstruction to your preferences, to your will. And what's the emotional response that rises when there's an obstruction to your will? It's called anger. It's a spontaneous one. And so here's what we have to learn. We have to learn, here's the sign of maturity as an adult. When there's an obstruction to our will, not if, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen today, tomorrow, all week long. There's gonna be things that are gonna go against what you wanted. And when you see a toddler bursting out and rolling around on the floor and go, wow, that's a work of art right there. Like Sometimes I just get down at their face level and go, oh, it's so hard to be two. Isn't it so hard? There's but you know what? Sometimes when I look at them, I think, well, that's really what we do as an adult, but we just kind of mask it. We just get more skilled at posing and pretending and kind of a layer of artificiality. But inside, we're just going toddler on the scene. That's really what we're doing. And there's two distinguishments here when it comes to anger. Do you know there is a righteous anger? We're not going to get into this topic today. And the reason we're not going to is I don't think it's the primary battlefield for us on this. But let's say a couple things about it. A righteous anger is what Jesus displayed when he walked into the temple courts and he saw the atrium of the church had become a marketplace and no longer a place of prayer and worship. And what did Jesus do? Flipped the tables over and raised his voice. He displayed a righteous anger. There is an appropriate place when you encounter injustice in the world for the emotion of anger to be harnessed properly. Some good things can occur from that. But hear me, it takes a ton of Christ-like character development to handle the emotion of anger in a righteous direction. Are you with me? The, the much more common battleground for all of us, me included, is this quote from Dr. Dan Allender that he calls unrighteous anger. This is from his book, The Cry of the Soul. Unrighteous anger refuses to turn to God with our deepest questions. Are you just? Are you going to let the wicked win? Are you going to let them violate me with no justice in sight? In the midst of helpless confusion and hurt, hear this, unrighteous anger refuses to surrender, to wait on God, to look to him for perspective. Instead, we feel righteous in taking justice into our hands when the one we cry to for justice does not hear or respond. We become vigilantes, 
seeking to impose our own sense of justice according to the demands of our desire. So what I want to get a picture of today is there are two different ways to go when it comes to the battleground of anger. You can go the world's way when there's an obstruction to your will. You can go old self, old life. You can go this. You can nurse it and rehearse it and internalize it or vent it. You can go that way with anger. You can become quite skilled at that whole lifestyle. The net result of the world's way of anger is you become an angry person. And you know what it's like to be in the presence of an angry person? You know when you are. The anger that this person has become that's literally taken over, it's like a rodent that's been gnawing on the interior world of their heart, and they've gotten to the place now where literally it taints, it stains all the other relational worlds around them. And you know this because if you enter the presence of an angry person, it's on their face. It's in their body posture. It comes out in the tone of their voice. It's how they carry themselves. Even if they, in the name of Christ, are praying, you can hear it in their prayers. An angry person, it just affects all the relational worlds around them. That's one way you can go with anger. And when I was young in the pastoral ministry, I had this perception that everyone in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s, I just thought elderly equaled maturity. And praise God, for many cases, that's the case. When I was in my 20s in pastoral ministry and I'd visit someone in their 70s and 80s going through the health struggles and I would meet some wise and godly and mature and it was so encouraging. But you know what I started to notice? Not everyone has the pattern that the scriptures, here's how the biblical pattern is supposed to be this. With age comes wisdom and maturity. That's normal. What's abnormal is what I would encounter sometimes. I would go and visit someone in their 70s and I would listen to them talk about this unresolved anger underneath the surface of their life. I would hear a bitterness A resentment. You know what resentment is? It's anger that sat there long enough and it's become frozen in your heart. Resentment is frozen anger. How do you know you're struggling with resentment? When you go level nine on a level two situation, that's when you know like, ooh, there's something going on underneath here. Like this situation warrants like a level two response and I just went level nine on it. What's up with that? That's probably a good indication there's some stuff going on in here. And I'd be sitting with an elderly person, their bodies fading away, and there was just tones of bitterness and resentment and anger. And I, I would leave those dialogues so sad. What happened to you? Well, what happened is I think they chose to embrace and internalize and vent and nurse and rehearse. They kind of chose the world's way of dealing with the obstruction of their will. I'm not discounting the fact that others may have sinned against them and hurt them deeply. What I'm observing, I'm simply observing, is this is the kind of person you will become if you go the world's way with anger. Are we all on the same page with that? We probably don't need a ton of discussion about that because that's blasted all across our news feeds all week long. And we don't lack for commentary, usually in our work environments or sometimes in our family circles, and perhaps you are struggling with that yourself. What I want us to get a picture of today is, you know there's another way to live? There's another way to go with anger. It's in the yoke of Jesus. Jesus says, here's another way to deal with an obstruction to your will. It's called the way of forgiveness, and forgiveness breaks the power of anger. And in classic Jesus fashion, he says, let me tell you a story. 
Don't you love it when Jesus tells stories? Because he's the best storyteller in the history of the world. He says, let me tell you a story. So that's what we're gonna look at today. Matthew 18, story, parable of the unmerciful servant. Follow verse 21 and following. Peter, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? What kind of a week has Peter had? Anybody had that kind of a week? Anybody had that month, year, years? Anybody had that dialogue where, you ever wondered if you could like record your prayers and play them back, if it would indicate to you what's really going on? I've had that thought before. It's like, I wonder how many times I'm gonna be praying about that. What is that indicating? Here's Peter going, I wanna talk to Jesus about how many times I should forgive because that person has really hurt me, sinned against me, offended me, obstructed my will. So he's like, how many times should I forgive? And Peter's feeling super spiritual on this day, up to seven times. He like puffs his chest out. I don't have a chest, but if I had one, you know, seven times. Seven times, Jesus. And what's he doing there? He's taking the norm and doubling it and then adding one. So here was the norm. The Jewish rabbinical saying was this. If a brother sins against you once, forgive him. Second time, forgive him. Third time, forgive him. Fourth time, don't forgive him. Peter knew that. So he goes to Jesus, kind of feeling it, right? I'm gonna go seven Double the norm and add one. What's Jesus gonna do with this? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And can you see Peter just go, seriously? Again, Jesus? Classic, right? If you notice with Jesus, he loves to surprise us. He loves to just kind of throw into his stories and his dialogues a turn that maybe you didn't expect. I don't think Peter expected 77. And Jesus, the point isn't just 77. The point is, Peter, way more than you're envisioning. You're in the counting phase, and I'm gonna bring you to a lifestyle phase. I'm gonna bring you to a way of living called the way of forgiveness. And now he's gonna tell him a story. A parable is a story that he tosses alongside this kingdom truth about forgiveness. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settle, settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. In your Bibles, you were $12 million. 10,000 talents, modern day $12 million. Was brought to him. So there's this guy, got a debt towards the king, $12 million. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So you see, the first part of the story is the destiny of the servant rests completely in the character of the king. That's a really important point at the beginning. Destiny of the servant rests in the character of the king. The king holds all the cards. If the king wants to go justice on this story, what's justice? You owe, you pay. We're usually pretty skilled with justice-type dialogues when we get into this. But what's mercy? Mercy is you owe, I'll pay. So the question is, which way is the king gonna go? Is he gonna go justice or is he gonna go mercy? Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So he went beyond justice in the first scene here, and he went to mercy. So here's kind of the first observation from the story that helps us with this pathway from anger to forgiveness is there's this anchoring of our lives in the $12 million debt that God has pardoned for us. This is really important. That in the big scheme of things, we are the one in the story who has racked up a $12 million debt against a holy God. And if God wanted to go justice on us, 
what does the scripture say justice would have been? Right? The wages of sin is death. So if you want to go justice, you owe, you pay. We're toast. We're the guy in the story that's going to be cast out because we can't pay the debt. That's the beginning point of embracing the gospel is internalizing. We've got a $12 million sin debt has racked up and is continuing to be racked up. And when we anchor that and then we look what? But what did God do? God went beyond justice with us and he said, you owe, but I'll pay. I'll send my son to pay your debt. Do you see this? So here's the picture in the story. Do you see? We're the one throwing ourselves at the mercy of the king saying, I've got a huge debt. You've got to pardon me in Jesus' name be free. As far as east is from the west, have I taken your sin away? And hallelujah, this time of the year, the Lenten season, as we come into our Good Friday service, and this time of year, we anchor ourselves. Let's not forget, we racked up 12 million plus. And some of you are saying, that's way short for me. You're like, what? you're in triple digits, mate. Whatever it is, the debt is way too big for any of us to handle. And God said, I know, I dealt with it on your behalf. I canceled it. Now you internalize that. And then you move to the next part of the story. But when that servant went out, Classic Jesus fashion, here comes your ironic twist of the story. When that servant, what servant's he talking about? The one who's just been pardoned for $12 million. That servant, he found out one of his fellow servants owed him 100 denarii, 17 bucks. That's a common, so there's a picture of what a denarii is, kind of coinage back in the Roman day. So this one who was pardoned 12 million is now owed 17 bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound familiar? What is, if you look, compare verse 26 to that that verse right there, is the exact same phrase he used on the king with the $12 million. Be patient with me, have mercy on me. It's the same phrase. And here this guy who owes him 17 bucks, who he's gonna toss in now, he's like, be patient with me, have mercy on me. Verse 30, But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. What's up with that? Here's the second observation from the story as we journey from anger to forgiveness. We got to prepare ourselves for some unmet expectations in this whole world. If you have tried to journey genuinely on the path of forgiveness for any length of time, here's what you're going to encounter. Not everyone you interact with is going to respond like you hope and pray they would respond. That's not gonna happen. What's going to happen is you're going to be in a situation where you're wanting to work through forgiveness with another person. The other person may never say what you long for them to say. They may never take ownership of what you want them to take ownership. They may never see reality like you see reality. They may never get to the points that you long for them to get to. Here's how you know you've got to a place of genuine forgiveness. When you can release them from you owe, you pay, regardless of how they respond. That's genuine forgiveness. That's really hard to get to that place. But in Jesus, in the yoke, we'll get to that in a minute. We don't have to do it on our own. There's no way in our own wisdom and strength we'll ever get there. That's why we're so skilled at broken relationships and we need a lot of help at reconciling and restoring. We don't need much help at breaking things up. We're just come natural by that. But what we need help with is learning how do you deal with unmet expectations? You pray your guts out, you write the letter, you clarify the issues, you sit down face to face, and the person across the table never says to you what you long for them to say. 
unmet expectations. And right there, do you see how the only way we're ever gonna navigate that kind of moment is that we have before us the $12 million debt that he's pardoned us from, and we take that $12 million debt vertical and we bend it horizontal and we apply it to the 17 bucks that we're owed around us. That's the only shot. See, we don't have it in and of ourselves just to say, okay, I can deal with that unresolved issue in front. No, you know what? I'm gonna take the $12 million of mercy and grace, I'm gonna bend it horizontal to the $17 of debts from the hurts and the pains and the offenses and the obstructions to my will that have been done. I just need to go in eyes wide open. Gang, we gotta know when we go down this road, there's just gonna be some things that are not gonna go like you want, hope, and pray, and plan they go. But that doesn't mean God's not in it, and it doesn't mean you can't have freedom, because you can actually get to the point where you release the other party regardless of their response. That's freedom. That's when you say, you know what, I'm done with it. You owe, you don't, you don't, I don't, you don't pay anymore. You owe, it's already paid. $12 million debt, I'm gonna bend it horizontal, it's pardoned. And we'll get into it in a minute, that doesn't mean trust is restored, that's a different discussion. I'm just talking about the forgiveness point here. And the freedom comes when you release them, no matter how they respond. And that's when you see some things begin to get set right in here versus the reservoir of resentment because unforgiveness moves to bitterness, bitterness moves to resentment, frozen anger, and resentment yields over the course of time an angry person. How do you stem that tide? Somewhere along the way, no matter the expectations that have been unmet, you release the other person. You don't owe me any more in Jesus' name. I bend that towards you. Well, let's see what happens here in Jesus' story because it's quite an interesting scene. This guy who's owed 17 bucks, when the other servants saw what had happened, imagine their scene. All these other servants are like, what's up with you? You just were forgiven 12 million and you're holding your hands on around the throat of a guy with $17? Can you imagine the friends who say, what are you doing? They were greatly distressed, I bet so, and went and told their master everything that had happened. Can you picture that scene? Hey, just the one you pardoned 12 million, he just tossed a guy in jail, owes him 17 bucks. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. And when the New Testament uses the word wicked, the word really means like a godless posture. So it's someone who's operating as if God's not on the scene. That's the best way to understand the word wicked. It's like a godlessness worldview. We just say, you're not even, you're not living as if the kingdom of God is in order here you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours, notice, because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So third observation from the story is a pattern of unforgiveness does not fit in Jesus's yoke. A pattern of unforgiveness, it doesn't fit in the yoke of Jesus. If you've come to Christ, the definition of a Christian is you've come to Christ with your pile of sin debt, you have received his $12 million of mercy He's washed it away, and you're learning to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were you. That's what a Christian is. You are learning to live your life as Jesus would live it if he were in your shoes. 
That's being a Christian. This story is saying if you're a Christian, if you've come to Jesus, you've entered his school of living and you've said, Jesus, teach me how to live because everybody has to learn how to live from somebody. You're the best teacher ever. I come to you. Teach me how to live. Teach me how to work through anger and forgiveness and all these issues. If you have the Holy Spirit living within you, you've come to Christ, received his $12 million of mercy and grace. Over the course of time, unforgiveness will be released from that yoke. They don't go together. You can't carry a spirit of unforgiveness over the long haul and live in the yoke of Jesus. That's the picture of the story. That's what he's saying at the end. It's that severe. You're gonna be cast aside, meaning they don't go together. It's like flaming snowflake. It doesn't go. It's this kind of thing. A pattern of unforgiveness in the yoke of Jesus. They don't go. Now hear me. I didn't say that you're not on the journey of struggling through it. Anytime this topic is discussed in small settings or in larger settings, there are layers to this kind of discussion, gang. I reckon there's some, there's some hurts represented here. There are some wounds and offenses in the category of so many layers deep that it's gonna take a long journey of working through lots of layers. I get that. The point is this, I want you to see something. Your posture of turning and going the way of forgiveness is evidence of the work of the Spirit in you. I didn't say that you've forgiven them. I'm saying you're on the pathway of getting to the point where you're gonna release that debt. Do you see the fact that you've just turned and said, I'm not going the world's way with this. I'm not gonna nurse it, rehearse it, internalize it, and vent it anymore. I do not want to become an angry person. I don't wanna see that cold, shriveled up, bitter, angry, resentful heart a part of my life. I don't want it. And the fact that that is occurring and you're turning and saying, Jesus, now teach me how to go a different way with this offense, this hurt, this sin or sins that have been committed against me. That right there is evidence of the work of the Spirit in your life. If the Spirit is not at work in a heart, there is no turn there. Are you following me? And hear me clearly now. On this journey of forgiveness and releasing it, there is a difference between pardoning and releasing a debt of someone and the restoration of trust and reconciliation. Two different things. Forgiveness happens in a moment. The restoration of trust occurs over time. Forgiveness doesn't mean that re relationship's gonna be put in a, hey, we're all on great terms again. Hey, you might not have an ongoing strong relationship. It might just be you've released them and then there's gonna be distance because of all the history there. Because that's a dip reconciliation different from Forgiveness. Forgiveness happening in a moment, the rebuilding of trust over time. I put this quote from Ortberg in there. I found really helpful and I left it in your notes for you. Sometimes people wonder, is it possible to forgive when the other party is not repentant? You ever ask that question? It's really, really hard to do. But listen to what Ortberg says. You might distinguish between forgiveness as letting go of my right to hurt you back. That's key and reconciliation as that which requires the sincere intentions of both parties. I'm not commanded to pretend to trust someone who is untrustworthy. You follow that sequence there? So some of you are in a situation where the journey you're on is you're trying to release some sin that's been committed against you. And the fact that your heart is turning the way of forgiveness towards that person is evidence of the Spirit's work. 
the likelihood of that other party responding well to you is quite low. They may be in the posture of an unrepentant heart. They're not gonna say to you what you long for them to say. You need to prepare yourself for unmet expectations. But here's what you can do. You can release them. You can release the debt, and you don't, until they come to the posture of being in the place where you can have a reconciliation, that, that takes two. Forgiveness takes one. Unconditional forgiveness. Conditional forgiveness takes two. See how messed up we are with that. It's like, well, I'll forgive you if you say this. That's, that's the whole conditional thing. How does God treat us? He says, hey, take the $12 million this way. Simpson, unconditionally I've forgiven you. You were dead in your transgression and sin. I pardon you. Now bend that under, unconditional forgiveness to the $17 debts all around you. Bend it and release them unconditionally. That takes one party, just me. Release them with God's help. Reconciliation takes two parties. It takes a repentant heart on both sides, and that might be something down the road. That's an ongoing rebuilding of trust in a whole other chapter. Are you following me here? This is really important as we work through this topic because there's a lot of layers to this, and you may step out and extend yourself, and you don't want your heart to get crushed again. The way you don't get it crushed again is to recognize forgiveness in a moment, rebuilding and trust and reconciliation over time, and that second part is only possible if the other party comes to a place where they can re-engage relationally with you in a posture of taking ownership, genuine forgiveness, needing help from the Spirit. So... Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. Here's we got a choice. We can go the world's way with anger. Obstruction or will. There's gonna be things happen, things happening at home, at work, extended family drama, all the things in between. Stuff's gonna happen when that anger is gonna rise up within us. The spontaneous emotional response to an obstruction to your will. You can nurse it, rehearse it, internalize it, and vent it. And you can do that for decade after decade after decade. And if you do, then you will become what the scriptures describe as an angry person. I would lobby to say that is not the healthy life to choose. That is not a good life. That's not the life God intended. But balls in our court, we can do that. And there are plenty of illustrations of that. Jesus sets before us another way. We can go the way of forgiveness. And the only way to go away of forgiveness in the midst of the instruction of the will is we've got to stay anchored in the $12 million we've been pardoned. Don't ever lose that grid in front of us. Prepare ourselves for unmet expectations and recognize that in the yoke of Jesus, an ongoing pattern of unforgiveness does not fit. At some point in Jesus' name, there has to be a place of freedom on this. You cannot continue to carry it. And forgiveness happens in a moment, rebuilding of trust and reconciliation over time. So here's how we're gonna put this into practice this week. At the bottom of your notes, I kind of walk through a spiritual formation exercise. Worship team, come on up here. And I'm just gonna give you a couple minutes because I recognize a topic like this, hey, it warrants some time and space together. I wanna give you the start of that time and space here in our service. And I want you to right now work through this exercise with me and then I want you to carry this on through your week. First step of the exercise is, this week we're all gonna memorize Ephesians 4.32. Okay, so let's say that verse together, Ephesians 4.32. It's up here on the screen. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want you to memorize that verse today, and I want you to keep that verse before you in all your relational worlds this week. I want you to live with Ephesians 4.32 in front of you in all the relationships all week long. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave me. 
especially when you know you're heading into an exceptionally difficult relational circumstance. Ephesians 4.32, keep it in front of you, keep it in front, keep working that muscle, okay? And then step three, I want us to ask genuinely, say, Lord, is there anyone in my life that I need to forgive? Is there someone that I've just been carrying around some things and ask the Lord to bring the name or the face to your mind. And then step four is, you might, be, you might be very aware of who that person is, but you might not be ready to fully engage on the forgiveness journey because of the depth of the issue. Here's what I wanna ask you to do with step four. If, you're, if you know that there's a person or persons, you know it's quite a journey to get there and you're not sure you're ready, but you're willing, ask a trusted brother or sister to carry this burden in prayer for you for a period of time now. So ask, reach out to someone, be transparent, say, hey, here's the situation. I know I need to go this road with this person. I do not wanna go the road of anger. I wanna go the road of forgiveness. Here are the layers to the situation. I need your help. Would you pray consistently by name that the spirit would do something in me, in them, in us? And then let them carry that for you for a period of time. Now, don't use that as an escape because you gotta get to step five eventually when you're ready Spirit, I think, will let you know when you're ready. You're gonna know. Then you start praying consistently for the person that's hurt you and sinned against you. And then you ask Jesus to help you see them the way he sees them. And then step six, you forgive them. You take the forgiveness you've received in Christ and you extend it to that person. Sometimes it's writing them a letter. Sometimes where it's appropriate, you have a face-to-face meeting, but you get to the point where you take the $12 million of grace and mercy and you bend it horizontal and you say, in Jesus' name, you don't owe me any more. And for some of you this week, here's the muscle you have to work in this exercise. You have to practice the discipline of not getting the last word all week long. Especially those of you who are tending to struggle with this anger issue with your tongue, you're really sharp and biting with your words and you know it, and this is the area that's where it hits the hardest. Well, here's the discipline. Every relationship contact, just the discipline of not getting the last word. Even though your last word might be right, do you know how much character it takes to handle being right and not hurt people with it? Seriously, think about that in our current uh, culture, uh, election year stuff and all this. Think about how the body of Christ displays sometimes an ineptitude when it comes to handling a right response properly. Just just because you're right, you can wield it all the wrong ways. You following me? So just because you're right doesn't mean you have to have the last word. Practice the discipline of just not having the last word. Ooh, that'll be a real test this week. Some relationships are gonna be unbelievable this week because you're married to someone who's not gonna have the last word all week long and you're gonna be like, this is awesome. But it could be a coworker, family member, you get what I'm saying. But the point is, gang, we, this is what people who follow Jesus do. We work through these kinds of exercises. Why? The alternative is go the world's way and become an angry person. There's your alternative. Or what? You are not going to be zapped with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a gift received in a moment, and then it's a lifestyle that you learn to embrace over time. Changed and changing. You become a person of forgiveness. So when your will is obstructed, what comes out of the heart is a posture of, what did Jesus display on the cross? Do you think Jesus knew something about his will being obstructed? 
How many times was his will? He was innocent on Calvary. They were nailing him in a bloody scene. And what did he cry out from that posture? Father, forgive them. That's the base from which a person of Jesus responds to an obstruction to their will. In his yoke, here's the rhythm we learned. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. That's the rhythm we learned. Just as in Christ, God forgave you, Ephesians 4, 32. Father, forgive them. I don't wanna leave you with the impression that going the way of Jesus brings you an exemption from all the obstructions to your will. Jesus' life shows you that. How about all the apostles' lives show you that? That's not the picture. It's who you become and how you respond when all that happens. And there's a whole lot better way to go than the way of anger. Anger is a terrible base to make a lot of decisions from, which we see displayed over and over and over again. The way of forgiveness. So Brad's just gonna keep playing lightly here for another couple minutes. And then I just want you to kind of reflect on the morning, listen to the spirit. Just this is your time and space. Make whatever commitments before you on those levels of exercise that, hey, Lord, here's where I'm at. Here's my commitment this week going forward on this topic. Then I'll pray, and then we'll wrap up with one song. Jesus, thank you for being the ultimate example of the way of forgiveness. We confess we don't have it in our own strength to do what needs to be done in some of these relational hurts, the wounds, the sins, the layers of brokenness. This kind of a subject raises so much, Lord. We just invite you now into that space by your spirit confess where we have not handled anger well. We confess it. Have mercy upon us, O God, have mercy. Forgive us for the ways we have in our own anger sinned against others. And now in your yoke, would you teach us what it means to be a person of forgiveness? to our minds any specific situation or person that 
it's time. It's time for the letter. It's time for the call. It's time for the meeting. And then give us wisdom on the journey of reconciliation and rebuilding of trust. Oh, we need so much discernment in all of that. But I'm asking on this day for a work of freedom under the banner of forgiveness. May the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death when it comes to bitterness and resentment and anger. Help us be the kind of people who are kind and compassionate with those that are easy to be kind and compassionate with and those that are really hard. And forgive each other just as in Christ you have forgiven us. We pray this in Jesus' name.